Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise your mighty name, praise your mighty name. Praise God, praise God. You can be seated if you would like. I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Ruth. Perhaps in the third chapter. I'm going to skip around in this a little bit tonight. But I want to just talk a little while about the life of Ruth. It's a very short book. Only four chapters. But such powerful truths are are so readily available for us to mine and glean. And I believe that we can find some principles here this evening to pull into our lives, to put into action, not just to place them on the table for our consideration and then turn around and walk away. But I believe the Lord would have us to pull some of these things into action into our lives. Praise God. What a privilege to be in church. Privilege to be in the presence of the Lord. I am, for the sake of time, skipping past the beginning of this particular book, picking up where we find Ruth and Naomi back in Bethlehem, Judah. The scripture leaves very little, if any, doubt as to the level of brokenness that Naomi was feeling when she returned from um, her journey, a journey that was probably one of the most costly journeys we can find. A journey where she not only lost her husband, but she just seemingly lost everything, her sons-in-laws. And um, one daughter-in-law returns with her. Of course, that is the center of our attention tonight, that one daughter-in-law. In the words of Naomi, I, I enjoy from time to time and have enjoyed this year intentionally reading my Bible, daily Bible reading with a dramatized Bible and listening to that as I, as I read along. And there was just something about the particular person who began to speak on behalf of Naomi. Her desperation kind of comes across so crystal clear. The desperation of having taken a chance, walking away from the house of bread. What a lesson there is for us in that to find sustenance only to lose everything. And when she comes home, she says, don't call me Naomi. She clearly states to all of her friends and companions, I went out full. Amen. I think that's an interesting take in the sense that she was leaving what she deemed to be famine and was famine. But but by the time she thought she was empty, but by the time she was truly empty, she returns home and says, I went out full and I came home empty. I'm sure if you had stopped her on her maiden voyage, she would have said, I'm leaving because I'm empty. But today she understands a different level, another dimension of empty. 
she was concerned about Ruth, her daughter-in-law. But there is a man that comes on the scene, a man by the name of Boaz. And once Boaz is introduced into Ruth's life, then Naomi becomes essentially a different person altogether. Uh, We find her broken. We find her not very conversational, not very directive. She doesn't have a lot to give because she feels as though everything has been taken from her, depleted completely. But when Boaz comes on the scene, Ruth or Naomi begins to understand there is hope for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who has followed her home. And so now her concern is really no longer for herself, but for Ruth and for her future. She has once again taken her eyes off of her own plight and begins to look into the life of someone else, invest into through way of instruction in the life of someone else. And so I think one of the first lessons that we can learn from this tonight is that when we serve others, we ourselves find the greatest source of strength and joy and satisfaction. I have ever yet to meet anyone who has ever been involved in any measure or manner of outreach that didn't at some point or another come back from that experience saying, you know, I went to encourage someone else and I myself was encouraged. It's happened time and time again, hasn't it? We've gone, whether that's in a hospital room or to the home of a shut-in or a nursing home or an assisted living facility, a jail or a prison cell to encourage others and somehow or another in that reaching out to someone else, something was planted back in our heart. That is certainly true of Naomi. And so when these two widow women, Naomi and Ruth, when they initially come back to Bethlehem, their plan was that Ruth would take care of Naomi. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to help you. Your land will be my land. Your God will be my God. Maybe between the two of them, their in their own rationale, maybe between the two of them, they would be able to make enough money to just exist. They were just trying to spend the rest of their days. There were no visions of grandeur. There were no big plans, dreams, or hopes. They were just going to try to exist. The book of Ruth is an interesting passage to say the least because I believe that it's a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. I think we can see and find so many parallels there. And so in the steps that Ruth takes, we see the steps that we must take if we want to enter into a deeper and a more substantial and significant walk with the Lord. Like Ruth, I think that we have to reach a point that we just are unwilling to live on leftovers. We're just unwilling to get the crumbs from the table. Amen. I'm going to tell you tonight that a church, in order for a church to thrive, I'm not just talking about survive, but in order for a church to thrive, we have to do more than just live from Sunday to Wednesday and Wednesday to Sunday. That's the truth. We cannot just get everything enough, just enough on Sunday that we could just barely glide back in on Wednesday, get enough that we can glide back in on Sunday. That's a very, very dangerous position and place for a church to be in. And of course, the church is not a foreign entity. The church is us. So let's personalize that. That's a dangerous place for us to be in. So if we're going to survive, we can't be satisfied on just living on leftovers or even just the gifts or the hand-me-downs of someone else, but we've got to dig in 
and get something for ourselves. We got to want to, to be alone with the Lord and, and in that relationship with God, let God place something in our heart of eternal value and consequence. I don't want to just pursue the gifts of God, but I want to pursue the giver of the gifts. Amen. And so there are several points that I want us to glean from this story. And so I'll ask you to join me in the third chapter of this short book. And this is where we find Ruth preparing to meet Boaz. I'm going to read uh, about five scriptures here and and then we'll just talk about them a little bit this evening between now and midnight. How's that? The book of the book the book of Ruth three and one. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, and whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, anoint thee, put on thy raiment upon thee, put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But listen to this, but make thyself make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. It's in that special place right there. If you would just freeze that scripture for a moment. I mean, he, she said, it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet. And we'll talk about all this in a moment. And lay thee down. But here's something I want to get right here while we're passing by. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. There is a place in God of instruction. There is a place in God that we cannot just hear for him, hear from him in a very general sense where he just kind of touches us and we're excited to be in his presence. But I believe there is an instructional place that we can find in the Lord. Amen. Moving on finally to verse five. And, and she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. There is something about this spirit of obedience. Amen. Now there were obviously, according to scripture, other men who would have gladly married Ruth. We can find that in verse 10. I'll talk about that in a moment. They would have gladly married her, but they could not redeem her. Because I, I want to talk to you tonight about this kinsman redeemer. We're not just talking about being in a relationship with just anyone. There were a lot of men that would have married her, but there was only one man that could redeem her. Amen. So they, they could not, they did not have the redemptive power. Only a kinsman could do that, and Boaz was that kinsman. Since Naomi knew that Boaz was using the threshing floor, Naomi had some insight to what was going on, and so she began to share that with the next generation. She said, he's going to be there, and he's not just at the threshing floor, but he's going to be guarding the grain. So she instructed Ruth to prepare herself to meet him. And I think there's some powerful truths here and some good nuggets that we can pick up along the way in these instructions. There were some specific things that Ruth told her 
to do in order to present herself to Boaz. The very first thing that he told that she told her was found in verse number three. She said, the first thing you need to do is wash yourself. You need to wash yourself. And so today we don't think a whole lot about washing ourselves, really, in our culture. It's very common and water is certainly readily available. It's just turning the faucet and there it is and we have it. It's a pretty easy thing to do in our society. However, in the east, in the heat and the dust, it made washings or frequent washings necessary because you, you didn't have to move around very little. You're walking in the dirt and the dust and wasn't very long before you would need to be washed again. But So it, it, it wasn't the fact that it was, e- that was hard to get dirty. It was easy to get dirty, but water wasn't so plentiful. And so when Ruth said, you need to wash yourself, We need to not dismiss that prematurely in our mind as that being something as easy to accomplish as you and I could accomplish. So some effort went into this is my whole point. Amen, that water wasn't plentiful. So it's possible that more effort than we could even imagine went into just washing herself, this one instruction. But if we wanna enter into a relationship with God that is more significant than where we stand tonight. And I've just taken a chance. I believe I'm talking to people tonight that want a deeper walk with the Lord. Amen. Just a closer walk with thee, as the song says. I believe I'm talking to people that want that closer walk. So in order to do that, then we must be willing to do whatever it takes to make that possible, to move the obstructions in our path and the obstacles in our path and and even be willing to do what the Apostle Paul commanded the Corinthian church when he said, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the sight of God. So we need to cleanse ourselves. Amen. In David's prayer of repentance after his downfall with Bathsheba, we find a very broken, a very honest, a very transparent man in the presence of the Lord. The 51st Psalm is probably one of the most powerful prayers of repentance that you will ever read. In verse two, the Lord, David prayed to the Lord and he said, wash me, wash me thoroughly or thoroughly from mine iniquity. It was a sincere prayer. I'm just kind of diving off into one little portion of it, but David understood where he stood in the presence of God and in his standing with God. And so David said, wash me throughly or thoroughly from my sin. Cleanse me from mine iniquity. In verse number seven, David in this same prayer says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So here's a man that's not playing church. He's not, this is not about just a, a casual prayer, but here's a man that understands if I don't build a bridge between myself and my redeemer across this sin in my life, I'm going to die lost. And so he prayed, wash me, Lord, purge me, Lord, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And so we must pray, wash me. However, sometimes God turns the table on us and the Lord said in Isaiah 1 and 16, he said, wash you. Or in other words, you wash yourself and make you clean and put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes and cease to do evil. And so there are times we're saying, hey, Lord, I need you to come down and bathe me again. And sometimes the Lord says, you need to wash yourself. 
You need to cleanse yourself. You need to put evil things away from yourself. Amen. And you, you need to stop all of this from before my eyes. Stop doing evil. I've said a lot of times that we need to stop praying and repenting for our besetting sins and ask God not for forgiveness but for deliverance. Amen. And so the Lord, I believe that's what's going on here. Sometimes we're saying, wash me and help me and cleanse me. And the Lord sometimes looks back and says, you need to wash yourself. And you need to remove these things from your life that you know are in the way. And so God will not do for us the things that we must do for ourselves. He will help us, but there are some things that we just, amen. And so only we can put those things out of our life. Only we can cleanse that. Furthermore, we know what they are. Can I get a hearty amen? We often know the things that stand between us and the Lord. And so we gotta separate ourselves from those things that not only defile us, but grieve the Lord. If the priest came into the presence defiled, according to the Exodus chapter 30, they were in danger of death. This was a serious thing to come into the presence of the Lord with sin in your life. Very, very serious thing. And so they, they were standing at the very threshold of death should they walk into the presence of the Lord. And the, the Jewish people were very conscious about their need of holiness when they came into the presence of the Lord. Yet sometimes today, in our day, we're rather cavalier about that. If you'll just bear with me tonight. And we just feel like God should accept whatever we offer, but not so. Amen, I want to come into the presence of the Lord and cleanse myself and wash myself and ask God to let his spirit and power touch me. And so he said, or Ruth, Naomi said to Ruth, the first thing you need to do is wash yourself. You need to cleanse yourself. The next instruction that she gives to Ruth is this. She said, you need to anoint yourself. Now, I think this is important, very important. Eastern people use fragrant oils not only to protect themselves and heal their bodies, but they also use these oils to make themselves pleasant to others that were around. You ever smelled anybody that needed a little anointing oil? <laughs> so there was, there, were, there was more in the mix here than what just met the eye, but fragrant oils were to heal them, were to protect them, but it was a pleasing sound, a pleasing smell, a pleasing aroma. I was, I was preaching a funeral some uh, months back last year, and the gentleman that I was preaching the funeral, we were sharing the funeral service. Uh, I noticed that instantly when I walked up to him, I noticed that uh, he had on a cologne that just really smelled good. It just smelled clean, and and uh, so I know him, but don't know him all that well, and. And uh, so I, I, as we kept interacting throughout the evening, every time I got close to him, I would just smell this really clean smell. And so finally, before the night was over, I, I couldn't stand it anymore. And I said, I just need to ask you a question. I said, what cologne are you wearing? I said, that smells so good. He said, it's just me. <laughs> I said, Sure. He said, no, I'm serious. That's the name of the cologne. It's just me. <laughs> so I came home and I did what every red-blooded American would do. I ordered me a bottle of It's Just Me. But don't, I didn't wear it tonight, so don't. <laughs> just keep your distance if you want to. And so it was a pleasant thing. It was the anointing. She said, anoint yourself. A bride would take 
very special care. It's an interesting, interesting thing to see what a bride would go through to prepare herself to be pleasant to be nearby. Anointing oil speaks of the presence and the working power of the Spirit of God in our lives. And I believe that we must do everything within our power to make sure the anointing of God is in what we do. Amen. We should never attempt to do anything in the flesh, never, because we need the Spirit's presence to help us. I mean that with all my heart. We should never try to teach a Sunday school class without him. We should never try to play a musical instrument without him. We should never try to sing one song without him. We should not never try to organize not one effort without him. We should never try to teach or preach his word without him. We need the anointing. This was far, there was far more layers to what Ruth was, was, was hearing from the words of her mother-in-law. There were layers of truth to this. She said, you need to not just wash yourself but you need to anoint yourself. You need the oil. And so tonight, I would tell you that we desperately need the oil of the Lord. We can have all the right ingredients. We can have everything in place. But if we do not have the oil, then we are missing the mark. Amen. The Bible talks about in the book of Genesis when Moses was instructed to anoint the vessels in the temple he was given how much causia and how much cinnamon and how much calamus and all the things that were, that were given to him, how much then he said, and then of the oil, olive, a hen, H-I-N, a hen or a measurement, you need the oil to put in to all of these spices because without the oil, it's just spices. Without the oil, it's just fragrance. But when you put the oil in there, amen, now you can go anoint the, the vessels that are in the temple. And can I tell you that I am grateful, I'm humbled at the talent that God has blessed the church. I'm talking about not just our church, but the church at large. I'm thankful for the talent that God has blessed us with. As Brother Mike Williams says, I'm glad for baptized brains. Amen, I'm glad for baptized brains, but we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We need the anointing and the authority of the Holy Ghost. I've just been on this, I know, for the last many services, but it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Without the anointing, we are wasting our time forevermore, wasting our time. We desperately need the anointing of the Lord. Then, then uh, Naomi said to Ruth that her next word of instruction in our text tonight was change your clothes. You've got to change your garments. Ruth, third act of preparation was to change clothes. Amen. Now, there's probably a few ways we could look at that, but I believe that, that one, one of the things that we need to consider is that she had to take off the garment of a widow and prepare herself to be a bride. Amen. Now, there's no denying she was a widow. So Ruth was not trying to, Naomi was not trying to convince her to be something that she wasn't, but she was trying to take her from where she was to where God was wanting to take her. Hallelujah. Amen. And so she had to take off the garments of a widow and put on the dress or the, the attire of a bride. There's little doubt in my mind, little doubt in my mind, amen, that somewhere Ruth had saved something for this occasion. Naomi had the faith to believe that 
that she is soon going to be going to a wedding. These were not casual instructions. Wash yourself, anoint yourself, change your clothes. Well, it sounds like, mother-in-law, that I'm on a journey. You're on a journey. Mother-in-law, it sounds like you think I'm going somewhere. I'm convinced you're going somewhere. Why? Because we haven't just found a man Amen, Bethlehem Judah was full of men. We haven't just found a man, but we have found a kinsman redeemer. Aren't you thankful? Amen, the world is full of gods, but aren't you glad you found Jehovah? Amen, aren't you glad you found the kinsman redeemer? (coughs) In clothes, and rather in scripture, clothes carry a very spiritual and a very significant meaning. After they had sinned against God, Adam and Eve tried their best to cover themselves. But they found out the working of our own hands, the thoughts of our own mind are grossly inadequate. Only God could forgive them and only God could cover them adequately. The Jewish priests wore special garments. Nobody else was permitted to wear that. So clothing, garments had a very special and a very spiritual connotation in scripture when the prodigal son came home the bible says that he came to himself you know the story in a pig pen he came to himself in the mud and the mire and the wallow but when he got home one of the things that his father did for him was to bring him a changing of clothes hallelujah when we come into the presence of God if we offer everything that we have and only what we have Isaiah said it would just be as filthy rags and so we need the Lord to help us put on something that will put us in his presence if we sin then we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins the Bible says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and we need to seek his cleansing according to the scripture and so if we want to enter into a deeper relationship with the Lord then we've got to be willing to follow the instructions of the word of God amen the Bible says in Ecclesiastes the words of Solomon Amen. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Let our garments be white and let there be an anointing upon our lives always. The next thing that Naomi instructed Ruth was how she was to present herself. Ruth prepares herself to meet Boaz. Boaz and, and, and there's a process of things. Amen. There was nothing improper about what I have read to you in scripture, it was the only way that Ruth could offer herself to this kinsman redeemer. I read it a moment ago and let me go back there very quickly. Ruth said, Naomi said to her, she said, you need to, he's gonna be at the threshing floor. They're gonna be winnowing the barley. And she said, you need to mark where he lays down. And after he is fast asleep, then you need to present yourself to him, very specific instructions. Uncover his feet. Amen. Now this maybe sounds a little forward to us in our culture, but just think about it with me now for a moment. Amen. So here she was to put her feet, herself rather, at the feet of the Lord of the harvest. And then she said to him, when you do this, it's at this juncture that he will instruct you. (laughs) Amen. Please don't miss this important point. Amen. She said, you find where he lays down. You mark that place. 
and you wait until he is fast asleep, in other words, then you pull back the cover and you lay at his feet and from that vantage point, he will instruct you on from that point. I think it's so frightening in my own mind to think what would have happened if Ruth, like us, had rejected this path and said, well, I'm not comfortable doing that. That's not what I want to do. That's not the way I want to do it. I want to do it my own way. Is anybody with me tonight? Amen. We can do that very same thing. We can circumvent the very will of God and the plan of God by saying, I'm not sure if I want to do it that way. I don't know if that fits into my plan. That kind of goes against the grain of who I am. But we got to get this most important part And then Naomi said, if you do this, 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 and this now, you have put yourself in a position that the kinsman redeemer will not just redeem you, but he will instruct you. And so I say tonight, Lord, whatever it is that you ask of me, I want to be willing to do that because I need the instructions of the Lord. I need his word. I need his voice to speak into my life. Amen. It's frightening to think what would have happened if she said, I'm going to do it my own way. I wonder tonight what we may circumvent in our own lives because we say, I just want to do it my way. I'm not sure I want to do it this way. And we see where we are and where we want to be and we think we can take a shortcut or another path. But there is only one way to the feet of the Redeemer. Amen. I want to go that way. Praise God. Amen. She didn't. Thank God she didn't. She was heeding the words of her mother-in-law and she allowed her will to, to succumb to the greater cause. Had she used an, another approach, Boaz would have never caught it because this was their culture. If she hadn't mo- used any other method, he would have missed it completely because she would have stepped outside of the culture of that day. In the Old Testament, the priests knew how to approach the Lord because God had given them clear and concise instructions in the law in much the same way when we assemble into this house or any other place to worship. We've got to be careful how we worship. The Bible says in the book of John that we need to worship in spirit and in truth. And friend, that's not just a few words jumbled together to make a sentence. We need the spirit of God. We need the power of God. We need the jubilation of the spirit and the presence of the Lord but if we just have spirit without truth we're going to find ourselves shipwrecked we're going to find ourselves somewhere spiritually bankrupt but if we just have truth without the spirit of God we're also going to find ourselves in trouble we need the perfect balance of spirit and truth we need to praise and worship and magnify when we come into the house of God but we need his word his truth amen to be declared in our midst and let the power of God through his word minister to our lives. Praise the Lord, spirit and truth. The Bible says in chapter three and verse five, <clears throat> what powerful, powerful words. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. When I read that passage of scripture, Again, this afternoon, my mind went to Genesis 24, I believe it is, when Abraham sent Eleazar, his son, for a bride. When Eleazar got to the other side and found this woman at the well, she said, will you, he said, will you go with me? 
when her, when her family even questioned her, will you go with this man? She was pretty direct. She didn't even, as far as I can tell in scripture, putting this in our language, take time to clear her throat. She said, I will go. Amen. There is just something about raw obedience. Here is a lady that said, I am going to do everything that you have instructed me. This was against her teaching. Amen. Or, or this was not something she was familiar with. Let me put it that way. She was not familiar with this custom or with this culture, but she said, you know what, mother-in-law, everything you have told me to do, that is what I'm going to do. She submitted herself. And I'm going to tell you tonight that Ruth was not just a hearer of the word, as James talks about, but she was a doer of the word. I wonder how many of us tonight would walk out of this building and say, you know what? Amen. All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. I'm going to do that, Lord. I'm not going to take it home and analyze it and see what I think about it. We're not going to take it home as a family and dissect it and criticize it and come up with our own concoction and plan. But Lord, whatever you're speaking to do in our heart, that's what we're going to do. Ruth submitted not only to Naomi, but she submitted to Boaz. Harvesting and threshing were cooperative enterprises. The men of the village would take turns using a common threshing floor. This was usually a raised platform just outside of the village and perhaps often on a hill or as high of a point as it possibly could be so they would catch the wind in the evening. The men would place the sheaves on the floor then separate the grain from the stalks by having the oxen walk on it or by beating it. And once the grain was separated, the workers would then throw the grain into the air so that the wind could separate the grain from the chaff. Amen. Then the grain would be piled. They were either going to store it or carry it to market. But the men, in the process of, of getting their own barley, in order to protect it, the custom was that the men would sleep at the threshing floor to protect their harvest. And so Naomi told her, he said, you go, the scripture says, mark where he lays. You find out where he lays. You remember that spot and you take yourself there. And when he is sleeping, go lay yourself at his feet. Now there is no greater act of submission than what we see pictured here. Am I fair in saying that? You find out where this man's sleeping and you go lay yourself at his feet, a total act of submission. We may wonder why Ruth didn't want or wait for Boaz to propose to her. We may think this is a little forward. I think the answer to that could be found in verse number 10 because perhaps Ruth wasn't, or Boaz wasn't taking a proactive step because he was an older man and Ruth was a younger lady and there were other younger men so just by way of simple mathematics, Boaz begins to think, surely she's going to want a younger man. What would she want with me? He expected that she would marry one of the younger men of Bethlehem. And so the most important reason given was in verse number 12. Here's why she's coming. It's not because he's a young man. It's not because he's this or it's not because he's that. There's just one thing and it's on the screen. Amen. She was coming to Boaz because he was the kinsman redeemer. Amen, I got somebody said, well, it's maybe another route or better way to do or maybe that's what I want to do, but if we want to be redeemed, we're going to have to get to the kinsman redeemer. Amen, so therefore Boaz was, was willing for the Lord to just kind of work all of this out. And so when Ruth 
now has kind of called his hand because she sets all of her inhibitions aside and she goes and finds him, marks the place and when he is asleep, she goes and lays at his feet. Now, now Boaz, for the very first time, is in a position to do something about this. Boaz realizes there's a kinsman redeemer near me and I don't want to get into all of that, but he took care of that. If you know the story or the scripture, then you know the story. I noticed something interesting a couple of days ago while reading this story again in Ruth 3 and 9 when Boaz asked who she was. I think it's important that we catch this. Amen. She said something in her reply that I think took a little bit of nerve. Maybe it took a lot of nerve. When Boaz said, who are you? She said, I am Ruth, amen, thine handmaid. (laughs) She didn't say, I am Ruth, a Moabitess. She said, I'm not the lady from Moab. I'm not the widow woman. She didn't identify herself by any of the other taglines that were really in existence in her life. She could have said, I am the widower. I am from Moab. I am the lady who lost it all. I am the poor old lady that drug home with my mother-in-law. She had a lot of things she could have thrown in there, but she said, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Amen. She was already in her mind. In her mind, she was already headed. Amen. To, To the arms of a kinsman redeemer. Look at the next part of the verse, if you will. The Bible said, I think this is significant. Verse nine again, he said, who art thou? She said, or answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. And then she said, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Amen. Spread therefore thy skirt or thy covering. Put your covering over me for someone to spread their covering or someone to spread their mantle. Don't just read past all these things, these things in scripture and miss the significance. For someone to spread the mantle over a person mean that you, means that you are claiming that person. Amen, you are claiming hold, especially when it comes to marriage. I'm, and so she said, I am, I am, uh, uh, my name is Ruth. Amen, I, I am, I, I am, I am thy handmaid. And then she said, spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And so for someone to spread that was an act of claiming. In the book of Ezekiel, when Jerusalem had run astray, amen, we find the mercy of God toward Jerusalem. In Ezekiel 16 and 8, here's what the Lord said. He said, now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold thy time Thy time was the time of love and I spread my skirt over thee and I covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Amen, this was significant when when uh, Ruth said, I want you to take your covering and I want you to pull it over me. I want you to claim me as mine. In the book of First Kings 19 when Elijah was passing by Elijah plowing 12 yoke of oxen in the field Elijah did something very significant. We may think it was just a casual thing but when he passed by him the Bible says that he he departed thence and found Elijah the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he with the 12th and Elijah passed by 
by him and cast his mantle upon him. There's something significant when somebody lays their mantle across you. They are claiming you as their, their own. Elijah was laying claim to Elisha who would be the next voice. God was anointing the ministry of Elijah to live on through the hands and the lives, the lips and the feet of another man. Praise God. The word translated skirt in Ruth chapter three and verse nine also means wing. It also means wing. When I read that, my mind went to Psalms 91 and one. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the, of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall, he shall cover thee with his feathers. And here it is. And under his wings shall thou trust. Amen. Ruth was saying, cover me with your skirt. Ruth was saying, cover me with your wing. Ruth was saying, I came out of Moab with nothing. I lost everything that I own, but I have approached you in the right fashion. I have approached you according to custom. I've approached you according to the word. I lay at your feet and I have one request. Who are you? I'm your handmaid. What do you want me to do? Cover me with your wing. I say tonight on this Wednesday evening, we have gathered into this house. I hope that we didn't just come to sing a song rhetorically. I hope that we didn't just come to hear another message for the sake of marking a service off in our life. But could we say tonight when the Lord says, who are you? Could we lift our voice and say, I am your handmaiden. What would you have me to do for you, Hatchman Apostolic Church? tonight. I would have you cover me with your wing. I would have you cover me with your skirt. I would have you cover me as your own. Praise God. Let's clap our hands. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Cover me. Cover me. That's what I want you to do is cover me. Cover me because there is claim when you cover me. I'm going to ask you to stand and our musicians to come. I'm closing. <clears throat> but I'm going to take more than three minutes closing. So, When Boaz was first introduced to Ruth, he gave her permission to glean in his field and told her that he had instructed the young men not to bother her. I want to read something from the second chapter. I think it's significant to what we're looking at this evening. Ruth 2 and 10. Then she fell on her face. This is prior to our scripture of a moment ago. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said to him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing that I'm a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how that thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity and art come to a people which thou knewest not heretofore. And the Lord recompense thy works. 
and the full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. Watch this. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. If you think this old widow woman was just staggering down an old dusty road with no direction and with with no hope, you are so sadly mistaken. Because I'm going to tell you, long before we get to Ruth 2 and 12, God overheard something. (laughs) God overheard something that said... Your God will be my God. And he knew that wasn't the babbling words of a broken woman, but God read her heart. And Boaz said, because you have looked not only after your mother-in-law, but God heard you, and under his wing, I'm gonna hide you. She had come under the wing of God God in verse 12 and now she's under the wing, the covering, the skirt of her husband. (laughs) Amen. In responses of Boab to Ruth, we see how the Lord responds to us when we seek to have a deeper walk with him. So not only did Boaz calm her fears, but he also made a promise concerning her future. He said, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou require. Whatever it takes to keep you. (laughs) Whatever it takes to sustain you. I've committed myself to that. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Praise God. Whatever God starts, he finishes. And whatever God does, he does well. Despite our nearer kinsmen, God worked it all out. He just hammered out all the details and And uh, amen, he just took care of it all. And so during her days as a gleaner, Ruth had received generous treatment from Boaz. According to scripture, his workers had allowed her to follow the harvesters. They protected her from harm. They deliberately dropped sheaves for her to pick up. But in verse number 13, I mean, verse number 16 of chapter three, and I'm not trying to preach all night, but just got this in me. Amen. I'm, I'm almost done, believe me, in more ways than one. But when she came home for the very first time, Ruth in chapter three, verse 16, asked a curious question. When she came to her mother-in-law, this is what her mother-in-law asked. Who art thou, my daughter? She wasn't asking her, who are you? Are you like she'd forgotten who she was. She was really asking her, are you still Ruth the Moabitess? Or... Are you the potential bride of Boaz? Tell me all about it. (laughs) Amen. Tell me all about it. Now, I'm just going to make this really, really, really applicable to our day. Many of us have known people that we knew they were going to get engaged. And so as soon as they were engaged, we wanted all the details. How did it happen? How did they propose? Tell us all about it. This was the angle of Naomi's question. Who art thou, my daughter? Are you still Ruth the Moabitess, the widow woman? 
Are you a daughter of promise? Tell me all about it. Tell me all about it. Amen. She was the perspective Mrs. Boaz. That's who she was. Amen. That's who we are tonight. Amen. Who are we? Who are we? And so I'm going to close this service by asking you this question. Who are thou, my son? Who are thou, my daughter? Are you that scarred, troubled individual that you've always been and that the enemy would try to convince you you always will be? Or somehow, some way? Have we been able to pierce through unbelievable circumstances and find our way to the grace of God? I believe that's who we are. Amen. I believe that there's a kinsman redeemer in this place tonight. And I believe that he longs to redeem us. I I wonder if we could just spend a few minutes around this altar in family prayer. Would you come with us tonight? Can we just magnify the Lord? Aren't you glad that he, aren't you glad that he reached out? Aren't you glad that his power and his presence strengthened us, anointed us tonight? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.